Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined as ever by my partner and CEO of Startups.com, Will Schroeder. Will, today we're going to dig into a topic that uh, a lot of people have faced and probably even more people wonder about, and that's, does bringing on investor mean that I'm hiring my own boss? <laughs> yeah, it does. I mean, I, you know, I don't think I understood this the first time that I took out an investor. I like, if you've never done this before, here's how I think you look at this challenge, I guess. Or here, here's how I think you overlook it is probably the best, better way to say it. I think the first thing that, that folks do is they get so excited that they want and need cash, right? So they're not really thinking about what happens after that other than I don't have cash now and I'm about to have cash. So <laughs> they're thinking all positive. The second thing that I think is a bit of a misnomer, and it's it's hit or miss, is I'm going to get all of this extra experience and guidance and connections yeah. you know, with these new investors uh, that's going to help grow the business. And if I'm young, uh, and I've never done this before, which is the case for a lot of people raising capital, that sounds fantastic. You know, Ryan, I, I'm sure you, you're probably in the same boat I was early on. Like The more help you could get from people that sounded like they knew what they were talking about sounded like a positive. Oh, yeah. And let's keep in mind that knowing what they were talking about was very relative to what I knew at the time, which was not much. <laughs> exactly, right? And so, uh, so again, so on, on its face, it sounds awesome. You know, all, all positives. Uh, yeah, money yeah. I didn't have, guidance I didn't have, connections I didn't have, all positive. Uh, and, and then there's, there's a certain amount of validation you know, that, that comes with it uh, that folks feel. Here's the part we don't talk about, and this is kind of going to be the impetus for this entire episode, which is what happens once we close that deal? Are we still running the company? Because, you know, it sounds like we are. We only gave up 20% or whatever we gave up. Uh, so we have the majority of the company. Um, we're the CEO, so, or, you know, executive or whatever it is. And so we get to make all the decisions. Uh, sounds like we're our own boss. Until you test that theory. It's kind of the way I feel with my kids. Yeah, exactly. My kids feel I'm in like charge. they have a tremendous amount of autonomy. Yeah. <laughs> and and for the most part, they do. Yeah. Until they have to push it. Until it's like, I want to stay up past 10 o'clock for you know bedtime. And I'm like, mm, this is where your authority comes to a screeching halt. And I think that's I think what we should do is we should kind of just unpack. Uh, what are all the places uh, during this journey where uh, it comes to a screeching halt? When, when you go to say, but I want to do this. Sure. And the answer is you can't do this because truly someone else is actually running this company. Yeah, well, absolutely. And, you know, I think that the uh, the golden rule is always in effect, right? And, and that's that, you know, she with the gold rules. Um, never is that probably more true than, than when you take on investment capital, uh, simply because of the fact that, you know, the, in a lot of cases, you are dealing with people who maybe do have more experience than you do, or at least believe that they do, uh, may not right. be 100% relevant to the company, but they're definitely uh, prone to injecting opinions um, and, and wanting to make sure that, you know, you're shepherding their investment in, in the way that they want. Yeah. And look, I mean, I get it. Um, but I, I don't think, again, I don't think the founders get it. So l let's just say, uh, early in the process, um, day one, we've signed all the docs. We've ignored a lot of those terms that our lawyer probably said <laughs> you should pay attention to some of those things, but we're, you know, yeah. we're trying to get this company going. We just need to get the money in the bank. And we sort of ignore those things for a minute. It happens to everybody. Well, of course you did, because when you talk to the investor, they, they explain to you that they're very hands-off, right? 
Right. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, 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 you know, we won't need to do this. This is in case of an absolute emergency, so on and so forth. And, and that's sort of true. But what we'll kind of get to here is the absolute emergencies are actually the things that, that kind of change things. Um, be, before we even look at how much, you know, uh, capital plays a part and, and the cash in the bank and who controls it plays a part, it's also important to note that when we take this money, we're also taking it with a very specific set of conditions. You know, investors are here to make a return. They're not here to invest in a lifestyle business where we grow the business to 5 million and we start to take some, you know, some fat salaries out of it and and live for the rest of our lives like that. They have a very specific agenda. And if you're talking about more professional investors like venture capitalists, etc., they have a hard-coded agenda that they need to return all of that capital and a lot more within 7 to 10 years, and in most cases even less. And so just bear in mind that the moment we take on that cash, we instantly have to be be under the, the, the assumption that this thing is going to have to achieve some sort of liquidity. And the reason I say that is because those conditions and those requirements are about to drive everything in ways that we're so unaware of right now. Right now, we're thinking, oh, well, growing the business sounds awesome. Like, why wouldn't I want to do that? Let me put it this way. There's a million different ways to grow a business. We're going to be limited to very few. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and and those the the delta in those decisions and those options is going to become increasingly apparent as we grow the business. We'll get into more of this, but I just want to kind of like, you know, a l- little preview of this. Um our boss and our boss's needs are going to become very apparent as the business evolves and as the funding evolves. Sure. But at its core, uh, where this all starts is they may have wired the money into our account. It may have transferred from their account to ours. But the conditions of that money were all set up in the operating agreement that we signed. And prior to that, the term sheet that we signed. Yep. To suggest when those decisions are going to be made, exactly how they can be made. And to be fair, Ryan, most of the time you make tons of decisions that no one cares about, right? You know, you make a marketing decision, a hire decision, whatever, nobody cares. People start caring when shit goes sideways, right? Yep. And that's when that's when having a boss matters. If if look, if all you did was create a company that was rocket ship growth, probably no one would bother you. Right? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Except it doesn't work that way, like at all. And and it's it's an an incredibly important point because what you're talking about is the your decision making isn't impacted ninety nine percent of the time let's say maybe ninety five percent of the time sure sure but it is impacted in those moments where decision making is most critical right when you're making day to day you know fairly mundane decisions about what to do with the business marketing decisions hiring decisions um, you know other things that are are less critical um, and in times where you know things aren't moving sideways uh, or or down. It doesn't matter as much, right? But then when you get into these, you know, the, the time at which you are going to find yourself having a boss is the time where you would also typically appreciate your autonomy the most. And so it's, Correct. it's this sort of double whammy of, right, not only do I have to answer to somebody else now, I have to answer them at the moment where I would least like to. And, and I think that's something that people don't anticipate. Um, and they also get lulled to sleep, right? You, you can forget about this because you may take on the, the money and, you know, maybe you go, you know, 16, 18 months. Um, and everything's copacetic, 
and you're very used to not having them sitting on your shoulder, shouting in your ear, and then all of a sudden things do change, and they come back in a very, very, very different way, uh, that can be extremely unnerving and unsettling for founders, as it should be, right? Absolutely. And, and let's talk about some of the inflection points that, as a founder, you are invariably going to hit that inherently have friction. And inherently, yeah. this is where it's going to start to come up. And, and this is where when you know folks like us who have done this many times before, you know, we'll talk about this later, but we, we opted not to raise capital because we didn't want to go through this again. Yep. Right. And <laughs> Been so they done that not going back unless we absolutely have to. Absolutely. And, and frankly, we had like not bad experiences. It wasn't like, you know, we're like, oh, my God, this was so horrible. It's just one yeah. of those things where we're like, you know what? If, if we could build something without having that component again, exactly even better. Uh, so uh, here, here were the inflection points. And if you just raised capital, please listen closely on this one. Here's what almost 99% of the time will happen. You're going to run out of money. Right. Yep. Here's why. And this goes back to what we started with. The VC or the investor that you're working with, they need to see growth. Growth sells. Companies don't sell that are that are uh, that are generating any revenue, relatively speaking, um, yep. or generating any growth. Uh, even if you're not generating revenue, but you have you have a ton of growth, ton of user signups, et cetera. You're growing like Facebook kind of thing. Um, there's an interested market to buy you. Where there's not an interesting market is when you're just growing 10% year over year, right? Or right. you've spent five years and you're making less than a million dollars in revenue. Kind of like there's there's no way an investor is going get, to get their money back on that type of growth. So they want to put the gas on this. They want to make sure that hiring happens fast, that marketing happens fast, that product development happens fast, which on its face sounds awesome. Which on yeah. its face sounds like something you'd absolutely want. Here's the thing. Fast is expensive. It's expensive and it usually doesn't work. It usually doesn't work <laughs> Funny because how that it kind of can't. Well, just to be fair, because it it, it kind of can't, right? In other words, um, you get to a point in the business where you're testing everything for the first time. You're testing product, you're testing marketing, you're testing the hires. I mean, all the people yep. you just hired just got here. How would you possibly know that they're all going to work out, right? And so you're, you're putting culture together. All of these things are in this very formative stage uh, all at once. And it's a clusterfuck, right? There's, there's almost no way it's going to work right out of the gates. On top of that, we're deliberately burning so that we can grow faster because yes. we anticipate raising more capital. Yep. This is inflection point number one. The point where we're almost invariably going to run out of money and go back to the well, right? Whether things are good or bad, either way, we're going to run out of money, right? That's the nature of it. When we do, we get to go back to our investors, our existing investors, and we say, would you like to put in more money? And this conversation generally does not go well. And you start <laughs> to realize that all of the decisions you made and all the things you thought you agreed upon uh, aren't what you thought they were. The investors come back and start to say, they start to naysay, that was a bad hire, that marketing uh, was, was a terrible plan, or um, the valuation you thought you were going to get is terrible, we, you know, we're going to mark it down, whatever. Um, this is the first time where you get like in your first fight with your girlfriend, so to speak. Right. Yeah. And well, they, they have the power of hindsight at that point, and they're allowed to because they have the money to move forward. And so you know, they, they get the benefit of being able to use all of the hindsight and decisions that they didn't inform at the time. Um, and, and maybe, you know, it's, it's better that they didn't, but they're still going to use those. They're going to weaponize everything that you've done in the past um, as you move into this next round of, of capital discussion. Correct. And 
if things are going really, really well, you know, you have a little bit more momentum. To be fair, they're rarely going that well, right? I mean, yeah. it's just a very turbulent yeah. and difficult part. Um, it's also tricky because let's say you've gone from seed to you're going to Series A or kind of you know wherever you are in, in, in your capital raise. And we're just talking about companies raising at that level. This same the same thing applies for just keeping it in the family or you know private wealth, whatever. Um, when it comes time to to raise that cash, there's a tremendous amount of consternation because number one, by the time you go to raise, you kind of need it. Now you yeah. have staff, you have a lot of ongoing expenses, you've got an office lease, got all this stuff, and you absolutely need that cash in a relatively short period of time. Startups yeah. rarely give themselves enough time to raise more cash, and it's usually we need, we've got six months left, so you've got this dire circumstance. Now, the very people that might have been somewhat optional to you, your existing investors, are absolutely critical to you. And whether or not they jump on board for this next round absolutely changes the game of whether or not you're going to raise more money. Think of how awesome it is for a new investor that's never seen your deal to hear about your great idea, your, your, your existing funded company. And then to find out that none of your existing investors are participating. <laughs> Biggest yeah. red flag in the world, yep. right? And the investors know that. So what they have to do is they have to be on board with the idea that they'll give you more money, which means now you're pleading your case back to them again to participate. Going back to, you want to know who has control? The person who determines whether you're ever going to get funding again. And these are the inflection points that start to, to add up and add up. And the point is, you're going to hit this point whether things go good or bad. There's going to be a point over and over where you're going to have to keep going back to the, the well and asking for more money or asking for help you know, in quorum on critical decisions and realizing that you're not in control of these things. They may own 20%, but they kind of make all the decisions. Yeah, well, so what you're saying, I mean, it's really it's really about power, not equity, right? We're not talking about somebody's right. position within the cap table relative to anybody else. We're, we're talking about the amount of leverage that they have, and it can be quite outsized and, and asymmetric to uh, to the amount of equity that they've got. Yeah, using your example of somebody who's, you know, in the first round and would be ready to go and, and seek a second round of funding, whether that's, you know, a, a further seed or, or a Series A, um, if they say they're not in, that sends the same signal to investors, and, and it's not a good one. And so we're, we're really talking about the amount of leverage and power that they have. And while it is somewhat aligned with equity, there's certain decisions where the, you know, the amount of equity may, may come into play here. It's really not the core consideration. It's really, you know, what right. can they stop me from doing? What's hard-coded into the operating agreement, the term sheet that we agreed upon? Um, but even outside that, what fundamental decisions can they impact simply by saying yes or no? And it's Ryan, it's it's brutalizing to a founder yeah. when when you realize that it's really not your show, right? Uh, again, you get to star in the show, <laughs> but it's not yeah. your show. Uh, and and I think you know personally when I went through this the first time, uh, we were raising money for um, for a company. We'd raised about a million dollar seed round uh, from some fantastic investors, uh, some well known investors, and we we're going into our next round. And we were doing okay, not great. Meaning, like we had some traction. We actually had pretty good traction, but it was so early. Uh, incidentally, it was in the uh, it was in the middle of the financial crisis in two thousand seven, two thousand eight. So maybe the the second now worst possible time to be raising, other than the coronavirus timing. crisis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but but the investors came in hard on me. 
you know, they were like, look, man, uh, you didn't have enough traction. You didn't perform well enough. Um, we're not all on board with your next raise. We're not all on board with some of the people you want to bring on. Um, I, it was, it took me totally by surprise. Like up Did until they make then, you pay I, I for thought lunch too. <laughs> probably did actually uh but i mean think about that man like one minute i i i'm i'm used to it being my show so to speak um you know i'd co-founder so our show uh but and then the next minute um all of a sudden i'm sitting across from a bunch of people who are basically telling me what the answer is going to be like all of a sudden it, it's a and, and we're only in our our seed round we haven't even gotten that far in our financing or the evolution of the business and I kind of get this preview of what's to come that's basically telling me, look, man, you're uh, <laughs> you're only at the beginning of these discussions. We're going to be having an awful lot of discussions where, once again, you get some input, but we get the decision. Right. And I think, uh, I don't think a lot of uh, founders really understand um, the extent of that powerlessness, right? But make no mistake, those are your bosses, no matter what percentage they own at that point. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Again, it's, it's, it's about the control, not about the equity and the percentage they own is, is almost irrelevant, right? It, it goes back to at what point can they raise their hand and tell you no, or raise their hand and say, you're going to do this whether you want to or not. Right. It, it, it goes back to, um, you know, that, that loss of autonomy as a founder. And, and it's interesting because I, I you really don't feel this loss, um, until these, these really critical moments in the business, right? It's, it's, not rare. I would say it's far less common to have somebody come in and be very heavy handed, um, you know, before these, these sort of critical moments in time, like the second fundraise or, you know, other, other major financial decisions, anything that could impact their, their position within the cap table. Um, and so from, from that aspect, there certainly is an equity, uh, component to this, right? Because as you look at that, that following round, um, you know, they're going to be concerned about how you price that round and so forth. And so, you know, the, the amount of equity they have at that point may, increase uh, their their likelihood to to get involved in a very heavy-handed way um but it really is just about the power yeah look if if the stakes go up right that's one thing in other words like if you get yep. to like a a, a we work level or um uh uh uber level like that's a whole other uh discussion you know, well, that's a great point. You know, as the stakes change, um, so too does does the discussion and and the pressure around it. I think one of the other things we haven't talked about yet is that um, as you move through what I'm going to call different classes of investor, um, this discussion can change, and, and kind of the, the pressure and power that they have in these situations may change, whether that's real or perceived. Yeah, right. But if you're talking about a friends and family round, right, you know, there's a difference between Uncle Donald being mad at you um, and and somebody at, you know, one of the top VC firms, right? So as we move through, you know, friends and family into maybe a, a first time or inexperienced angel to a very experienced angel or angel group up into, you know, VC, PE, um, it changes a bit, doesn't it? Well, it does. And also remember too that um, just because a person has a bigger or a small stake, they have a fiduciary interest in the company either yeah. way. Yep. So a person can be an exponential pain in your ass <laughs> regardless of where they stand in the cap table, right? You could have a 0.01% owner, but if they want to be an absolute pain, and sometimes um, not necessarily a, uh, uh, they're a well-meaning pain, right? They just want to check in right every week to see yep. how things are going they, you know they, they, they want to get constant updates in the business and they're entitled to it don't get me wrong 
But at some point, it actually becomes an, a huge nuisance. Where I see this the most, well, yeah, and where I see it the most it is, is... It's micromanaging, in, right? It's micromanaging, and it doesn't really matter when or how you're micromanaged. Yeah, what's commonly known as a party round, yeah. where uh, uh, an entrepreneur will go out and they'll raise from like 40 different um, uh, founder or um, investors, rather. And all of a sudden, you've got 40 different opinions on how the business is going, Right. Heaven forbid you have some hiccup in the business, you know, you get written up on uh, online or there's some, you know, big thing on social media. Now you've got 40 interested parties yeah. all trying to figure out what you're going to do about it, right? It again, it doesn't matter how much they own in the cap table, they all get a voice yep. and they will choose to use it. And it, it, it at first when you're raising that money, you think Hey, this is awesome. I've got 40 smart people that all think I'm great. They love my product that all want to put money in. And you're like, well, this is fantastic. Again, what great validation. And then uh, something goes wrong, right? And now it goes the other direction. We've got 40 people down my ass or uh, or up my ass uh, or the other side of it, which is um, I've got another round that I'm doing. And not everybody likes the valuation. Maybe right. it's a down round. Right. Now I've got 40 sets of attorneys that I've got to have, you know, sign off on something like this, or I've got to sell the company. And I've got 40 sets of attorneys. You know, when we bought some companies, <laughs> we dealt with 40 sets of attorneys trying to do the acquisitions yes. because we had all these, you know, uh, interested parties. It's bananas. It is. It's absolutely nuts. Yeah. And that's the thing. There, there's all these other, these other kind of, uh, and it may be their edge case, but like, let's be honest, we're, we're in the startup game. A lot of things are edge cases. A lot of things happen for the first time yeah. in this environment. Um, and, and yeah, and they can, you know, they can be highly unforeseen. They may not be clearly spelled out in the, the operating agreements or, or in the term sheet in terms of how this will be handled. Um, and it may be something that nobody's ever directly dealt with before, or at a very, at the very minimum, like when we did some of the acquisitions and we had, you know, 40 interested parties, we had to deal with 40 different people, right? So even if they had been through it before, they'd been through it in their own way. And so they had their own right. color of that experience, their own, you know, desires right. for how it should end. Um, it's sure. like herding cats into a burning hot tub. I mean, it's, it's as crazy <laughs> as a thing can be, right? We, we, we lived through it and we survived. But, um, you know, as you can see, I have very little hair left at the end of the thing. <laughs> well, look, um, I, I think where it gets tricky for us as founders, again, I, I keep picking on first time founders, but again, we, we all go through this the, uh, the first time, but again, also for people that are, that are thinking about raising money, yeah. um, there's no version where we raise the money, we get handed the money and they just say, let us know how it goes. Right. <laughs> Even if people say that that's what's going to happen, it's not what's going to happen. And I want to be clear. The investors deserve that information. I'm not. I'm not uh, demonizing investors here, saying they're bad people. I'm saying it's a huge extra level of uh, oversight and management that we're signing up for, that we're getting paid, so to speak, yeah. for. But now we have to manage. And you know, Ryan, it, this is probably a good time to talk a little bit about how, in our own business with Startups.com, we chose not to go down that path. Um, not because we didn't need money. I mean, like any other business, we needed money. We did six venture-funded acquisitions that cost a lot of cash. Yes. Uh, so we definitely needed money. But having had some of this experience and having had talked to enough folks, I, I think, you know, Ryan, I'd be curious to get your take. But like, for me, if we did the same business, but we had a boss going through it, it just wouldn't feel like the same company. I'm curious what your thoughts are. 
No, absolutely it wouldn't. I mean, this was one of the early decisions that we made was that, you know, we, we didn't want to have bosses. Um, you know, we're lifelong entrepreneurs, but, you know, we've all, we've all been in situations where we had a boss of one sort or another, whether that was an investor, a partner, um, whatever, right? And, and that was one of the early decisions that we made was that we were going to do this without bosses. We were going to make sure that we maintained our autonomy and, and were able to, to clearly run the, the company with, with, our own, uh, with our own ideas and, and you know, make our own mistakes and, and feel comfortable with that. And uh, investors certainly fell squarely into the middle of that boss bucket. And we said, like, that's just not something uh, that, that we want to do um, because it would impact our, our enjoyment of the business. It would impact the, the, the company culture. It would impact a lot of other really fundamental, important decisions that we made. Uh, for example, we, we've talked about this a number of times on the, uh, on the podcast, but you know, we're, we're work from home three out of five days a week for everybody. And then the vast majority of our, our workforce is work from home all the time. Um, that's not going to apply with a lot of investors. You know, there's certainly, um, you know, it, it wouldn't have been the, the simple proposition that it was. And we decided to do it. We said, we believe in doing this. Let's do it. And that was the end of the discussion, right? right. The three of us got together. We talked, uh, shared it with the management team. Everybody was on board. We said, let's test it. We tested it. We liked the way it worked. Um, and, and, and it worked. Now, we have objective evidence at this point that says that was a great decision and there were no impacts. However, if you get to a point where, you know, and even if, even if you have that same objective data, but you're at a point where you want to raise more funding now um, and investors looking at that and saying, okay, well, you know, maybe if you guys hadn't let everybody work from home, you'd be in a vastly different position right, right now. Right. And, and we would know the reality that's not true, but it gives them one more piece of leverage uh, one, one more, you know, way to be a boss over what we're doing, even if they allowed it to happen at the time, um, they, they may block a future decision based on that decision. Right. And that's, that's, I agree. that's absolutely the crux of this discussion, which is that things that, you know, decisions that you make can then be weaponized against you, um, and, and keep you from being able to move forward in the way that you want to. And we said, hell no to that. And I'm super happy that we did. I mean, there would have been times where a little bit extra money for marketing would have been great, but, uh, we've made it work. Well, you know, I think what's interesting, um, we made a decision very, very early in the business. A lot of people don't know this, but we said we want to focus how quickly can we get to profit, essentially break even and be self-sustaining versus how yeah. fast can we grow. And remember, th those are often not yes. necessarily the same uh, paths or outcomes. Uh, often what will happen, right. what I've done in other businesses, is we focus entirely on growth. So everything is about metrics and growth. Um, and it's all about betting on the come. So we're going to spend a lot of money right now in hopes that things work out so it grows quickly so that it eventually, you know, ideally is self-sustaining or somebody buys us you know, from our, our actual growth. Yeah. And the, the challenge with that, the huge challenge with that thought process is it implies that there's going to be some safe area down the road. You know, obviously, an, an exit of some sort would be the safest area, but some sort of hey, we'll get so big that the thing will have enough cash, et cetera. And the reality is that rarely right. happens, right? It sounds awesome, but it rarely happens. And we had a very different focus, right? We just said, look, our focus is do whatever we have to do in order to be self-sustaining, right? Even if it was parts of the business that we didn't think would scale, right? Just do whatever yep. it takes to make sure that we absolutely hit break even so that we have unlimited runway so we can step back, take a breath and say, what do we really want to build here? Right. Which if this isn't obvious, that path is not an option. It's not an available path if you take on investment capital, right? That's just not an option. Nobody's going to hear, oh yeah, we'll just keep, uh, you know, uh, breaking even. That's what we're really focused on. 
no investor in the planet is going to be like, no, that sounds, that sounds good. I, I like the sound of that. I'd like you to just sit on my money forever and, and, and never be able to get to a point where it can become liquid for me again. That would be fantastic. Well, please do that. I, I think a, a big caveat, to, and I agree with you, a big caveat to that would be an investor loves the sound of you getting to break even just in a very <laughs> short period. Of time. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. There's, there's a difference. Yeah. They like break even. You know, it, it took us about three years to get to, to break even, which is light speed considering, you know, we're a bootstrapped company and, and we were, we had a pretty big um, purview of what we were trying to do. That said, it could have just as soon taken us seven years, right? I mean, it, it just it happened yeah. to happen in that time, but um, there was no way we could have predicted it would have happened, call it that quickly and three years, still a long time. Uh, and so from a, from an investor standpoint, uh, by all means, you'd love to see that you know the liquidity and in, in a company doing that well. But if it comes at the cost of growth, if you're saying, "Look, it'll take us two to three years, and we think we can get to five hundred thousand yeah. dollars in revenue and be break even and not be burning capital anymore," any sane investor is going to say it's the dumbest idea ever. Like, like I, I need this thing to grow quickly, <laughs> and I need to see some sort of progress to show that there's additional capital that'll be coming on, et cetera. And, and to be fair, that's exactly how they should be thinking. Right, that's exactly how their business runs. So I'm not knocking them. I'm just saying that's the way it works. And I think for us, we knew going into it more than anything. You know, I just kind of be candid about it. We just didn't want to answer to anybody. I mean, it's kind of that simple. Like we, we just yeah. w- when when a group of us sat in a room and said we're going to turn left, we didn't want somebody else raising their hand and say no, we want to go right. We just wanted to go. Um, and if that meant growing yeah. slower, if that means you know risking more of our own capital, etc. So be it. And to be fair, that's also, by the way, how like 99% of companies run, right? So like most companies aren't funded right. companies. Um, and so, I, you know, I think we're, we're alone in that feeling, but we made a very deliberate decision. And I'll say this, Ryan, and I feel pretty confident with this, maybe one of the best decisions we ever made. Continues to feel solid every day, right? When I think back about the you know, on the things that maybe we would have done differently had we had capital, you know, where, where we would have put that money. Um, and this is just, I don't want to get off onto a tangent on fundraising now, but as, as I think about fundraising, I really break it down into just two major camps. Now, there's far more nuance to it than that, but if I think about it just at a very high level, there's enabling capital and there's accelerated mm-hmm. capital. And none of the things that we would have put that into were enabling, i.e. there wasn't anything that we weren't doing or couldn't do because we didn't have the money. It simply would have allowed us to do some things faster. Sure, I agree. And Faster is not necessarily better, right? And in, in a lot of cases, I can say that we're a better business for having had to go slow, for having Agreed. had to figure things out under higher constraints, rather than being able to burn money to get to the same answer, or perhaps a subpar answer, right? right? That's the thing. As you start to move fast, um, a lot of things fly by, right? When, when you're moving at slow speed, you got time to take in the scenery, and I, and I mean that literally and figuratively. Um, when, when you start to, to go whole hog on growth, you can miss a lot of opportunities along the way simply because you're pouring cash onto this, this fire. And, um, you know, something else we talk about, we talked about this in, I think it was the last, last episode actually was, was quality of life. Um, I can tell you that in, in my own capital raising experiences, there was a direct correlation and, and not in a good way, um, between capital raised and quality of life, right? right. Because, I couldn't, at that point, I've taken somebody else's money. I couldn't give myself permission to take it easy at any point ever. Right. Right. Even when things were going well, they could still be going better. Right. And so it, it has so many impacts 
again, I don't want to turn this into, into a full-on fundraising discussion, but uh, to your question about whether I, I still think this is the right idea, yeah, I've gone back over it probably a thousand times, and I still think that we're where we're supposed to be um, at the time that we're supposed to be. And, and I think it's, you know, it's, it's working out exactly as we wanted it to. The irony with all of this is we're saying this, and I don't want this to sound like an anti-investor rant. We run a fundraising platform. We've helped people raise $500 million <laughs> <laughs> for startups. We We've sure connected do. with a lot of investors. So, so by no means, you know, are, are we anti-fundraising at all. But what we do think is pretty important is we want people to understand what they're signing up for. Right with the last few right. businesses that I raised capital for, if I could have done it differently, would I have done it differently? No, I actually would have raised capital again. I mean, those were the right businesses for the right reasons to raise money. The only point I think Ryan, you and I want to make here is just understand what you're signing up for. I mean, when you raise money, yeah, you have a boss, right? And you know, Ryan, the other thing we should probably just kind of touch on real quick is you're interviewing your boss at that point. You know, when you're out raising money. Yeah, whoever you're talking to, <laughs> That's exactly it. Whoever you're trying to uh, uh, pull capital from, they're not just a passive investor. They're literally the person who's going to be telling you what the most important decisions you're ever going to make are. Yeah, I mean, so as we as we think through that, what would be? Do you have like one or two critical questions that you would ask an investor that you feel like you could get some sort of a read on on what they're going to be like as a boss? You know. This has always been such a controversial question. Uh, my biggest question to investors are, have you ever built a business? Now, <laughs> now, now, just listen, it, it's, it's not an unreasonable oh, question, yeah. right? It's not an unreasonable it's not, question. It's not. In it's fact, not. it may be the most pertinent question. To be fair, most biz, yeah. most investors have not. Uh, let me say it differently. Most angel investors have. That's, how, that's why they have the money in order to angel invest. Most VC investors yep. uh, have not. And and I'm not saying it's it's an absolute requirement. My my purpose of the question isn't to to qualify you to say whether you know know how to be an investor. Uh, I'm a founder. I don't know how to be an investor. Right. Um, my question is how good are you at understanding what it means to be a founder? Right. I'm about Correct. to go through an awful lot of hard decisions. I'm about to go through the total unknown here. Have you been through that firsthand? Have you sat uh, awake at three in the morning wondering how you're ever going to pay all that debt back? Um, if you haven't, I'm not saying it's impossible. I know tons of investors that have never started a business before. They're, they're good folks, but the ones that I gravitate toward and to your question, Ryan, you know, what would I ask and what am I looking for? I want to look for somebody who has absolutely been in my shoes because I know when we get to some of those really critical, uh, inflection points, they're going to actually know what it's like to have gone through this. And, and to me, that feels very meaningful. Sure. Yeah. I mean, a little bit of empathy in the right in the right moments goes a long Absolutely, way. Absolutely, man. And it should inform their decision making. Um, and even if it doesn't inform their decision making, it may help them to deliver the shit sandwich with with a little more, you know, seasoning on it or something. Like it just there's there's a lot to be said for knowing that somebody has has walked a mile in the same shoes, um, even if they're using those shoes to kick your ass at that moment. <laughs> uh, what about you? What what would you what would be like the most important question or the most important uh, trait you'd look for? Well, one of the reasons I laughed was that that's that, that's at the top of my list, right? I like to know that that somebody has some some you know you know relativity to me, right? That there's some some common ground, and that we've been through some of the things, same things together. Um, and so that would probably be at the top of the list. Um, the, the other one that I did look for was what experiences did they have in terms of when things did go sideways? Because as, I was as you just and I both say the learned, same thing. 
Yeah. When everything's copacetic, everything's copacetic, right? Everybody's cool uh, when it's a party, right? Once the party's over and it's time to clean up and there's a huge mess, you know, who who's who's cool in that situation? And so really trying to look at and have some some specific information around deals, um, businesses that I know that they've invested in that haven't gone well, what that experience was like for them, how they felt, and, and really just trying to kind of get a little bit under the hood in terms of how they handled that situation. Um, and really, a, a, as much from a, an emotional standpoint as, as from a practical standpoint, right? There, there are only so many things you can do, practically speaking. It's really more about how they felt about it because you can guarantee that will inform their actions and it will inform how they, how they interact with you. Um, and that becomes super critical, right? Even if hard decisions have to be made, um, if you've got somebody that you feel like is going to approach those reasonably, equitably, um, that goes a long way, right? Uh, to, just to knowing that like, if the shit does hit the fan, um, that I've got somebody who's, who's capable of dealing with that in a professional way and, and so forth. So asking a few questions around deals that I know have kind of gone sideways was, was always one of my things. Yeah. I mean, I look at it as what's the biggest loss you came back from? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. Because a lot of the folks that are in you know high level investment positions either have never had a loss right uh, to i guess yep. to their credit right you know they did they did stanford google facebook uh you know name brand vc um but they've never had to bounce back from anything they they've never had to go right. through the stuff that that I'm going to go through i'm not saying they haven't worked hard this isn't about hard work this is about coming back from an absolute ass kicking right have you yeah, had no, to do that have you point. lost everything and come back and that's not a requirement but if you have, you're probably going to understand no. what I'm about to go through a little bit better. And I got to tell you, yeah. the, the, the folks yeah. that have are some of the most understanding people I know. When, when, when it comes time to say, hey, we're in a really tough situation, they'll look at that and they'll remember exactly what it was like. And they may not come back with, with an answer you love, but at least you know it's an informed answer that they've lived through that when they're yep. saying it to you, you know they feel you, right? Which, which means the world to me.